Hey guys, if you're still giving your offering or grabbing coffee, just make your way in as soon as possible. But for the rest of us, let's just say it together. It's time. It's time. Let's try it one more time. It's time, it's time. to start. Okay, so shameless Rocket Bible plug right here. Um, if you're not familiar with your Bible, um, this is a great opportunity for you to get familiar with your Bible. So Rocket Bible is going to happen on this Wednesday here at 7 o'clock. And it's an eight-week rocket ride. And uh, the goal is to give you a working knowledge of the Bible, to give you an understanding of the history and how the books work together, as well as reveal Jesus in the scripture so you can actually have a familiarity with the scripture or with your Bible that you didn't have before. So really want to encourage you, if you've not been a part of Rocket Bible before, to be a part of Rocket Bible. And it's part of our discipleship process here at Elevate. And uh, God wrote a book. Let's just say it. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Okay, so that's what it's all about. A lot of people don't read their Bible because they don't understand it. And uh, so the statistics are that less than 7% of evangelical, those are people who love Jesus and follow Jesus, Christians have read their Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That's like less than 7%. So we, don't even, we haven't even hit 10% yet. So 93% of all believers haven't really ever read their Bible. And we wonder why we don't have power. We wonder why we don't have process. We wonder why things are the way they are. So. Um, Anyway, so what we're going to talk to you today about, I mean, we're going to do a couple of uh, one-off teachings, so just basically not in a series, but they're just specific topical uh, teachings. And today I want to talk to you about hope. Anybody need hope? I'm hoping for some hope this morning, right? So we're going to talk about hope, but I want to talk to you about four life-changing beliefs. Four things that are life-changing that you must believe, okay? Why do beliefs matter? Because your past cannot hold you, but your beliefs can. You believe that? Because it's true. Your past has no power over you, but your beliefs can and do hold power over you. What you believe affects everything around you. What you believe about God, whether he is good, whether God even exists, whether God is who he says he is or not, how you believe about him and what you believe about God affects how you relate to him, affects your perception of him, affects all of those things in that atmosphere. What you believe about yourself, how you see yourself, what you believe, whether what is true about yourself or what is not, affects you. What you believe about your future or your environment, these are just some examples of how belief affects us. It affects us. So what we believe creates something called a paradigm. Paradigm's a grid, right? So if I believe that God is not good, let's just play this, we'll play the antagonist. If I don't believe that God is good, then my paradigm of God, every time I'm talked about, God is spoken of or brought into my line of thinking, my grid that I process him through is that God is not good. And so it affects my paradigm. So what you believe creates a paradigm or a grid through which you think. If you believe God is good and you believe God is for you, then your grid of him and your grid of your circumstances are entirely different. If you believe certain things about yourself, right, that affects how not only how you are, identity is a huge piece of who we are, of, of, our, of our life. It affects who we are. It also affects how we live and how we respond. I meet guys who are drug addicts. 
right? Deal with lots of different people of lots of different, you know, we're in the people business. And so people that constantly see themselves as a drug addict and can't get past the fact that they're a drug addict, they constantly view themselves in light of that paradigm, they can never overcome drugs. Whatever it is you're struggling with, you have to shift your identity position or in order to shift your reality. You understand? So if you see yourself as a failure, the only way you're ever going to move out of failure is to shift your paradigm. You have to shift the grid in which you see yourself. If you see yourself as somebody that God doesn't love, you have to shift your paradigm in order for that, for you to experience the reality or the truth of that. Does this make sense to you? So your beliefs create a grid. So your beliefs are very important. They create the paradigm or the filter. So we all got filters, right? We have to change our filters. They create your posture, how you lean or how you stand. Your belief about God is going to determine whether you lean into him or whether you lean away from him. Your belief about yourself is whether you lean into your future or lean away from your future. So your beliefs affect your paradigm, they affect your posture, and they affect your perspective. Which again, not just the grid, but how you actually outwardly live this type of stuff. You guys want to hear a funny story? I hope this is funny. Right? My jokes were falling flat in the first service, so, you know. <laughs> They're like, that was a joke, Kevin? Really? I was, yeah, I tried. All right, so here we go. This, I'm going to read it for you. This is a story, so, all right? So a couple had, some of you may have heard this before, a couple had twin boys. And the mother was worried that the boys were developing extreme personalities. So we're going to talk about perspective here. One of the boys was a pessimist. The other was a total optimist. And so their mom takes him to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist treats the pessimist first. He says, listen, we're going to treat this kid first. So we're going to brighten his outlook. So the psychiatrist brings him into a room that's filled floor to ceiling with toys. But instead of getting excited about it, the little boy starts to cry. What's the matter, the psychiatrist asks, being baffled. Don't you want to play with these toys? Well, yes, I do. But if I do, I'm only going to break them. So next, the psychiatrist said, well, we better treat the optimist. So they take the optimist kid and they try to dampen his outlook. So the psychiatrist puts him in a room that's piled floor to ceiling with horse manure. But instead of getting upset and getting disgusted, the optimist gets excited. And it's the same type of excitement that he was trying to get out of his brother, the pessimist. Then he sees the optimistic boy climb up onto the top of the horse manure, get down on his knees and start digging and scooping out all, the, all of the manure with his hands. The psychiatrist comes in and says, what do you think you're doing? Baffled. And the boy looks at him and says, well, I figure with all this manure, there must be a pony here somewhere. <laughs> Issues of perspective, right? Room full of manure? No problem. There's, where's the horse? Where's the manure? Where's the pony? <laughs> Bible talks a lot about the way that we think. It's a very main, uh, one of the main threads of our life is not just coming back to Christ, but how we follow him. And one of the threads of following him is a belief system, not just a, a, a belief system um, in Jesus himself, but how we to perceive and how we are to think overall. The Bible actually says, as a person thinks in their heart, so they are. As you believe in your heart, so you are. You know, according to your faith, so be it unto you. So believe has a lot to do with it. Romans, this is one of the big pillars of the faith, this verse right here, Romans 12, 2, next slide. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind that you may pr prove what is your good and acceptable, perfect will of God. What is it saying? Next slide. <laughs> the word conformed means to take shape of. 
So what it's saying is don't, be, don't take the shape of the world around you, the system of thinking, the system of order. So as a Christian, we're not to take shape according to the world around us, but we're to be transformed. Transform means to be moved into another form, trans, across, into another form. How are we transformed? How do we move from one form into another? Well, it tells us by renewing our mind. To put it another way, I'll give you another ver- I'll give you the same verse in a different, uh, different wording. It says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world around you, but let God transform you into a new person. How? Not, instead of using the new words, renewing your mind, it says, by changing the way that you think. So we become real, we become new, we begin to walk out our new identity when we begin to believe as heaven believes, when we begin to think as heaven thinks. And let me say this. It is easier, let's just say it to get together. It's easier to surrender my heart than to surrender my beliefs. Lots of Christians, it's easy. People will surrender their hearts before they surrender their beliefs. And we have lots of unformed believers because they've given their hearts to Christ, but they've never aligned their thinking with the ways of heaven. I'll share this with you. It's a little further down. So salvation comes by believing in Jesus. Transformation comes by believing like Jesus. In fact, let's just say that together. Salvation comes by believing in Jesus. Transformation comes by believing like Jesus. The Bible says have the faith of God. Have faith in God. Have the faith of God. We begin to believe like he believes. We begin to understand as he understands. We begin to accept no truth other than the truth that Christ said about us, about our world, about his kingdom, all of those things. When we believe and we align with the right things, God's will is proven. So what happens when you begin to believe as God believes, the will of God is made known in your life and it's actually God, it proves, you say, well, God loves me. Well, I'm gonna begin to believe that God loves me. I'm gonna begin to believe that God is for me. I'm gonna begin to believe and live as though God was with me. And what will happen is, as you begin to align with that, you'll see heaven comes behind it, and you'll see that the will of God is now proven in your life. It's how it works. John 8 says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So what does that mean? Every area in your life where you believe truth, you are free. We got that? Well, what is is the opposite of that? Every area of our life that we are not believing truth, we are not free. So the areas of our lives where we do not know truth or we do not believe truth in reference to that area of our life, we are in bondage. And so if you're here this morning and you believe the truth of Christ, that Jesus is God and he alone is is Savior, what you've done by putting faith in that and surrendering your heart to that, you experience the freedom that comes with that. You know the salvation experience, the born again, to be born again? Oh man, I'm alive. Wow, this is crazy. That's, you've just experienced the freedom of that truth. When, and it's the same with all of the other truths of the Bible, that until we believe it, that truth cannot manifest or make its freedom or its liberty or its power known. Not because God doesn't want to make it known, but because we're the problem. The problem's always on our side of the equation. We are the issue. And so we have to align our thinking with how God says. So this idea of metamorpho, the word transformation is a Greek word, metamorpho. So let's break it down. Meta, Greek's real easy if you understand some, I don't know, I, I don't speak Koine Greek, by the way, but I understand certain ta- ta- contexts of the words and I know how to break a word down. But meta, which means arcing or overall, so meta 
Morphu, which is where we get the word morph, which is to change states or forms. So when it's saying be changing in state and form, it's saying in every area of your life, change your state and your form. The way you think, the way you do your marriage, the way you live, the way you do your money, the way, you, the way your attitude, your actions, every area of your life is transformation. We're not just to be born again, we're to be transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. And so metamorpho, there's a word picture, oftentimes the Bible accompanies this word with a word picture, and the word picture that the Greeks would attach to this is, the, uh, is, uh, is a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. So the word picture for metamorphosis is a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Now, if you didn't know anything about that process and I was to hold up to you a caterpillar and a butterfly and I was to say to you, these two are the same thing, you would be like, no way. They cannot be the same thing. They don't even look the same, right? Particularly, there's this one caterpillar. I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you've seen it, the one with all the spikes on it. You ever seen that one with all the crazy spikes? That thing turns into a really beautiful moth. You know, so we've actually taken them home on a stick before and when our kids were smaller and we let the cocoon happen and the moth was born. And, and so that ugly, gnarly looking land animal, land critter, becomes this beautiful butterfly. And so what it is, is it's a metamorphosis. And what the Bible is inferring is that he wants to take us from here, transform us into another state to where we can rise and we can fly and we're above our circumstances. We're not walking through it, among it interesting thing about caterpillars is caterpillars create their environment with their mouth. They create their cocoon with their mouth. They spin the silk or the chrysalis with their mouth. So let's just think about that for a second. They create their environment from what comes out of their mouth and then that environment that they've created that comes out of their mouth, that creates the state in which they change into. Wow, interesting. So the idea here is that we would believe as heaven believes, we would confess as heaven confesses, we would, we would create this world in which we could be transformed into. You will always struggle into the new form. The problem is, is that Christians become born again, but they don't go through the metamorphosis process that's required of discipleship. What does that mean? Well, it means that people come to Christ, you know, and we come out of all these crazy environments, but we don't change the crazy. We hang out with the same people, we go to the same places, and we do the same things, but we confess Jesus. And we wonder why nothing's different. Because you're hanging out with the same people, doing the same things, and going to the same places. There's no transformation. You're not, you see, might be, your sins may be forgiven, but there's a groaning in your spirit, and you don't experience the change that God is trying to get you to do. And so what it indicates, and it's very clear through lots of texts in the Bible, is that when you receive Jesus, you have to leave the world in which you knew. That caterpillar had to leave the world in which it knew, cocooned in a new environment, in order to become what it was created to become. And so what happens as a Christian is you've got to leave the people and the places and the things that you are coming, you are coming out and going into. It's difficult, very difficult. I gave my life to Jesus. I was looking for hope. I was looking for restoration. I was so low, it didn't matter to me. And so I had godly people in my life telling me, you gotta give up everything. I was like, I'll give it all up. What do you want me to give up? Everything, I gave up everything for about three years and I didn't do anything except what Jesus said to do. Read your Bible, pray, all those things, be in church, give, you know, serve, I did them all. And I gave it myself 100% to that. 
about three years, and I experienced this metamorphosis process that I had never experienced before. And I came, became something that I never was. And I actually began to experience the encounter and the depth and the change that God had intended for me to experience that I couldn't do so long as I was hanging out with the same people, going to the same places, and doing the same things. I could never be metamorphosis. It just, it just doesn't happen. And so what happens a lot of times, now then what happens is now I'm able to go around those people, I'm even able to go to those places, and I'm even to be in an environment where those things that I used to do bothered me. I can go there and it doesn't affect me anymore because I've been changed, you see. But I couldn't stay there, and if I, did, if I stayed there, I would never change. So now I have an altered state. Now I can listen to the music, hang out with those people, go to those places, be around that type of stuff, and those things aren't triggers to me anymore, whereas they used to be triggers. I'd be in a place, hear that song, and that song would trigger me into a behavior model that I, so I had to get away from that until I got cleaned and detoxed. And this is why lots of Christians don't experience the encounter with God. And here's the second reason. The second reason that we don't experience it is because we don't think it's normal to struggle with our new form. When the caterpillar becomes the butterfly, how many knows it struggles with its new form? It's not very comfortable with who it now is. So it struggles as it comes out of the chrysalis, right? In fact, it has to struggle into the new form to such a degree that if you help the butterfly out of the chrysalis, what happens? It dies. It never develops the strength in its wings to fly. And so the, it doesn't force its blood or whatever it is, those things, I think they have blood, I don't know, juice. It doesn't force the juice into its wings in order for its wings to be strengthened. And so as a Christian, it's that metamorphosis process, and it's, you have to understand that it is normal to struggle with your new form. I mean, we, we got like pinwheel Jesus and butterfly Jesus. We're all like, you know, oh, hallelujah. No, I struggled into my new form. I struggled to understand who I actually was now. I had to fight into that. And if you ever watch a, bu a butterfly struggle and a butterfly comes out of the chrysalis, it'll sit there for a, period, for a few hours. You ever watch that? You should go to Butterfly World sometime. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool because they got the butterflies in all different states. You go there and they're flying around. You got the butterflies coming out of the chrysalis. You got the butterflies that are, just got out of the chrysalis. So you see this whole sort of metamorphic process of these butterflies all at the same time. And the butterfly will sit there on the counter for two or three hours. And it, or, you know, it's just, it's trying to stretch its wings. It's trying to get used to what it is now. It's trying to feel it out. It's trying to, you know, saturate itself into what, what it now is, and then it starts to fly around the room. And so we have to be okay with coming out in order to become. We have to be okay with that. And then we have to be okay with the fact and give yourself some grace and give those around you grace that they're gonna struggle in the new form. It's gonna be hard for you. And, and I'm not saying it's difficult because there's a lot of joy in it, but it's gonna feel weird. You know, it feels weird to worship, okay? That's your new form. But then all of a sudden you start worshiping, you're like, wow, I can sense the Spirit of God. It's going to feel weird to worship. It's going to feel weird to pray, struggling with your new form. I'm going to read the Bible. I don't even know what this means. I have no idea. I can't even pronounce half these words. It's going to feel weird to when, you, when you do that, right? That's what feels weird. Some of it comes easy, but the other things, you're, you're going to struggle into that new form, and that's okay because you will fly. You will fly, provided you give yourself to the metamorphic process. That's how it works. Uh, this is just the thing of words. So uh, this is Carlos's experiment, where he is. 
It's 100 days of, of words spoken and prayers spoken over four different, you, you guys hear when I did that, when we showed that? There's different jars, equal amounts of water, equal amounts of rice, um, the, the, uh, the gratitude and love one. So you would pray over that, right? You would take that jar and you would pray with gratitude and love. He would hold that while he prayed his prayers of gratitude and love. Then he would put that one back. Then he would take the next jar and he would pray over that when he was requesting prosperity and blessing from the Lord. So he would pray over that one. Then one jar he completely ignored. And then the third jar he would hold when he would do his complaining and his anger and all that other stuff he would complain. And you can see metamorphic process with the words and the prayers that he spoke. So if you, can, if you can't see it very well, you can see the gratitude and the love. The, the, the rice is very full and has a really good shape. The prosperity, the prosperity of the rice has got grown so much, it's actually dropped the water level down because it's like growing, right? You see the one that's ignoring, actually the water is the highest than the one that ignores and it's the darkest. It's like murky, you know, swamp water in the one that he ignored. And then the one where he had anger and complaining in it, there's big chunks of mold in it huge chunks of mold, right? So you have four jars of rice with equal, all unequal things, but each one given a word spoken over it differently. So if you don't think that what you speak, you don't think what you believe, you don't think what you say shapes or changes an environment, this is actual physical proof that it's true. Science wouldn't be able to prove that. They'd be like, well, we don't understand that. We don't understand that because it's spiritual. That's why, because it's mysterion, it's a mystery. So that's just a little thing there. So here's the four things that you must believe. You ready for them? Everybody ready? Let's just say it together. First one is, there is always a solution. We're talking about hope this morning. There's always a solution. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter what you find yourself in or how, what, what has happened. It doesn't matter. There's always a solution. First Corinthians says this, the, temp the temptations in your life, the things that you're experiencing are no different from what others are experiencing. Sometimes we think, oh, it's only happening to me. Why is this happening to me? Well, same things and similar things are happening to other people all the time. And so it says, but don't worry, God is faithful. Let's just say that God is faithful. He will not allow that temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out. There's always an answer. There's always a solution. God will give you the solution if you ask for it. It's perisimos, which is the word for temptation. It means to prove for or against. So when things come at us, good or bad, it's a proving. Can you handle prosperity? Can you handle difficulty? What will rise in you when prosperity comes your way? What will rise in you when difficulty comes your way? It's a proving and a testing. That's what it is. And uh, the Greeks use this word perisimos, per Perasmos, perasmos, I can't, perasmos, they use this word in the healing of a disease. So if you were to study where the Greeks, the ancient Greeks actually used this word that the Bible uses, you would find that they used it in the healing of the disease. So when they were doing a healing of a disease, that then they would write, that was with, with, with the word that they would do. And so God allows these temptations, these things that happen for and against us to heal our disease. Well, what's our disease? Unbelief, okay? Or better yet, wrong belief. So God allows things to come in us to show us where we're weak in faith, to affirm us where we're strong in faith, but he allows these things to happen. And Corinthians tells us that whatever's happened, he's not bringing it, but he's letting it. He's not bringing it, but he's using it. Most of the times our problems come from people, places, and things. Most of the time our problems come from our own stupidity. Either we, we, we knowingly do it or we're ignorant to it and we do it without knowledge or it's just an issue of brokenness where it comes to us as well. 
And so God allows these things to happen. But what you need to know is that no matter what is going on in your life, what you must believe is that there is a solution. They've done studies on the brain and they found that if, a, if your brain does not believe there is a solution, it will not look for one. So if your brain believes that it's hopeless, it will not function to search for a solution. But if you believe that there is a solution, if you believe God is for you, if you believe that no matter what's happening to me, God has a way, your brain will automatically begin to identify where those solutions are. It will come in line without it. One of the things that happens is that we look to prove what we believe. So whatever it is you believe, you are, you are subconsciously looking to prove what you believe. So that's why beliefs matter. If you believe in failure or whatever it may be, you're looking to prove that. Oh, God doesn't love me. So you're subconsciously looking for ways to show that God doesn't love you. Whereas if you believe God is for you, if you believe that God loves you, if you believe that God is after your goodness and, 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 he is, uh, and he is good, then subconsciously you're in tune and you're going to identify the areas of where he's good. It's just how we work. But if your brain doesn't believe there's a solution, it's not going to look for one. So what's the key? Believe there's a solution. Believe there is one. And the Bible tells you actually to do that. And we have to teach ourselves to believe truth until we see things differently. Anybody have small children at all? Okay. One of the things you have with small kids is that not only they have coordination issues and curiosity issues, but they have depth perception issues, right? Put the cup in front of them and they're like, they, and, and it's not, it's a depth perception. They're, they've not learned, they've not trained, their brain hasn't been taught to see in the three dimensions. And so because their brain is not consciously connected to see in the three dimensions, they have depth perception issues and they can't reach for something even though it's right in front of them. What we have is we have spiritual depth perception. We have not trained our brains to see in the world beyond our own. We've not trained our brains to see, you know, in, through God's word, through God's lens, through God's spirit in a way in a world behind our own. That's why the things of the spirit were like this. We're like that little child, that little toddler sitting at the table that can't grab its juicy cup or its juice box, his or her juice box. So don't you call my baby an it, I'm not, his or her, okay? <laughs> Calm down, mama. <laughs> we have to develop spiritual depth perception. We have to be able to see into his world, understand his world through his word, through his spirit. And we have to realize when we understand depth perception, we understand that we can reach that world. We don't reach into that world because we don't have the depth perception to do it. And so we have to train ourselves to do that through truth, believing truth. We pursue truth until truth becomes the reality. Let's just say this together. We pursue truth until truth becomes the reality. People live by experience. The word of God should challenge your experience. If what you experience is in contrast to the word of God, your experience is wrong. I didn't say your experience wasn't real. I said your experience is wrong. And so we pursue truth until truth becomes the reality. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it wasn't difficult. I didn't say it wasn't even confusing or painful. I, but I did say that we are to pursue truth until truth becomes our reality. And what happens oftentimes is that we're lazy. This is just really what it is. 
God puts promises out in front of us. He puts difficulties and he puts the promises. He says, there's the kingdom. It's yours. But Jesus says the kingdom suffers violence. What does that mean? The people who want the kingdom are, there is an opposition for you to get the kingdom. Not salvation, but the promises. Understand that? There's an opposition. So God says, here's the promises. Here's the provision. And we pursue the promise and the provision. But oftentimes there's opposition. You ever wonder that? Huh? You ever try to pray? You don't feel opposition? You ever try to honor God with your money and you don't get that little Judas voice in the back of your head, right? That's the Judas voice, that's the Judas spirit. Jesus broke the alabaster rocks over Jesus. They broke the alabaster oil over Jesus, fragrant oil over him, worth a year's wages. You think, you're, you think you were tithing an offering? It was a lot? This person was given a whole year of their salary. Their whole year's salary they were given to the Lord and breaking it over him in an offering. And who was standing in the room? Judas. And what did Judas say? You wasted it. You could have gave it to the poor. He says, what a waste, giving it to the Lord like that. Giving it off to the ministry like that. What a waste. You should have gave it to the soup kitchen. Jesus said, no, wrong perspective, wrong direction. She's honored me. And wherever this gospel is preached, this story will be told. And you're hearing it today, 2,000 years later. Every time you're going to make a sacrifice to the Lord, the Judas spirit will be there. Every time you're going to make a covenant with the Lord, the Judas spirit will be there. And he will tell you you're wasting it. You need to hold it back for yourself. You need to keep it. That's what he says. And you can make an agreement with the Judas spirit, or you can make agreement with the Holy Spirit. And God actually gives you permission to make an agreement with the Judas spirit. He says, hey, you're going to keep it and you think it's all for you? Then keep it. Keep it all for you. I don't want it. You want to, make, you want to partner with the Judas spirit? Go right ahead. I'm looking for people who want to partner with the Holy Spirit. And so we have to decide which way we're going to go. But see, whatever God has for us, there is an opposition to it. Called out stuff last week, told you, you know, healing, kept hearing liver, was on the wrong side. I was like, over here, no, it's gallbladder. Okay, so we'll call it gallbladder. But I kept hearing liver. No one called out liver, came to liver. At the end of the service, she didn't want to get prayed for, but she came up to me. And if you're here, don't beat me up. <laughs> I know her very well. But she came up to me. She said, Kevin, would you pray for me? She's like, I've got some issues with my liver. And I'm like, were you here when I called that out? She's like, yeah. She's like, I was just too afraid to raise my hand. And she's like, I thought you were going to, she's like, I wanted to crawl under the chair. You ever wonder that? God's calling you out because he wants to do something. He's going to, he sees you. He's, he's doing, he wants to minister something to you. But the opposition is, you know. You ever want, there's this opposition. Every time God has something for us, there's an opposition. And it says the violent take it by force. Though you, it's a forceful advancing of the kingdom of God. It is a setting and a determination that I'm going to pursue this until it comes to pass. Be faithful unto death. We created a generation of Christian wimps. We are. We're wussies. Hate to say it. We like, well, I prayed. It didn't happen. It must not be God's will. Who told you that? Who told you that? They, people that preach this stuff, it's like, read your Bible. It is the revealed will of God. And if it's the revealed will of God, we cannot determine it to be his will other than what his revealed word says. Do not claim experience as truth. Truth is truth regardless of the experience. That's the issue. And we pursue truth until the experience comes. This is the kingdom. This is what it looks like. And I'm telling you, I'm not, I say this as if it were easy. It's not easy. It is a fight. 
It's a knockdown, drag out, blood tooth fight. It's a street fight, man. You want to pursue the kingdom? It's a street fight. The Bible says wrestling. It doesn't say boxing, doesn't say archery, doesn't even say skeet shooting. You know, those, those things are done at a distance. It says wrestling, up close and personal, where you get to smell the other person's body parts, if you hear me. That's, that's what it looks like. It's a street fight. Faith requires a street fight. Bare knuckle, let's go, knife in the teeth. I got a pipe, boom. I mean, it's on, whatever I got. I'm swinging whatever I got. You know what I'm saying? That's the kind of fight that it takes. <laughs> We're lambs, Kevin. <laughs> We're warriors, people. There's fight in you. There's fight in you. I know it. I know it. Wait, ladies, I always tell the women this. Why do you think you talk so much? That's, that's a gift from your father. Why is it a gift? Because the devil told the, Jesus told the devil, this woman's going to be your worst nightmare. There's enmity between you and her. The one that you afflicted, the one that you deceived is now going to be your worst nightmare. How? Well, one of your dominant strengths is verbal. Why? Prayer. Prayer. Instead of picking up the phone and complaining to your girlfriends, pick up the prayer line and call Jesus. Jeremiah 33, 3, call on me and I will show you great and mighty wonders that you do not know of. Call upon the Lord, ladies. How are you the devil's worst nightmare? Through prayer. Through prayer. You wreck him. We enter that world in the spirit through prayer and you wreck that world. You wreck it. I mean, you're turning over tables. You're like, it's on. Yeah, right? It's on. <laughs> I said one time, one time, and I said something really good and the, and the thunder went boom. <laughs> that was a cool day. <laughs> I'm like, and Jesus Christ is Lord. Boom. I'm like, yeah. So it's depth perception. We have to get depth perception. And I would encourage you that when God gives you a solution, it doesn't always make sense. Okay? This is a good one. It doesn't always make sense. I'm over time, but hey, whatever. <laughs> you like it? You like it? All right. So. I'm, used to, I'm, I'm trained in a way to teach within a bracket of time. And so I have a subconscious grid. I have a paradigm that forces me to teach within a bracket of time. And sometimes the Lord has something he wants to do besides the bracket of time. So I'm yielding. <laughs> I'm yielding. God's solutions to your problems don't always make sense. You have the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. They find a pool. They need water. They go to the water. The water's bitter. God, Mo Moses goes to the Lord. Hey, we got a problem. You know, the water, you know, we can't drink it. And what's God say? Cut a tree down and throw the tree into the water. Makes perfect sense, right? Why didn't we think of that? Let's just cut this tree down, throw it into the water, and we can drink the water. That made no sense, but that was the solution. Then you have Moses bringing the children again out of Egypt. Pharaoh's army's coming against them. The past, their past is pursuing them, and they can't move into their future because there's a waterway in the, in the beginning and from them. And so again, Moses goes, hey, uh, our past has come trying to catch up with us, and we got a water barrier here, so what do you want me to do? And he goes, what's in your hand? And Moses goes, a stick, staff, hold the staff over the water. Again, makes perfect sense, right? Oh, okay. Listen, guys, hey, everybody, gather around. We got a solution. I know Pharaoh's army's coming, and I know there's water around here. I've talked to the Lord, and he's given us an answer. Woo, yeah, what's the answer, Moses? The staff that I have in my hand, the stick, 
He told me to hold it out over the water. And it, crickets, 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 you know, and everybody would be like, and? You know, it's like his solutions don't always make sense. But what his solutions do is we have to ask and we have to act in his solution. Here's the second one. So the first one is, is what was the first one? Help me out. There was always a solution. You guys are paying attention. That's good. It's like there was always a solution. I'm staring at number two. So number two is ingrained in my brain. I will always know what to do. What's the next one? Next slide. Let's just say it together. I will always know what to do. There is always a solution and I will always know what to do. You say, I'm disorganized. I'm confused. I ask you, are you a Christian? Do you have the spirit of God living in you? How can you be confused and disorganized when the God who made the heavens lives in you? How can you be confused when the God who mapped out the stars and put everything in its order and put it in its course been there? The, the issue is, is what we pull on. So there's always knowing what to do is what are you pulling on? Well, you know, I grew up and my mom always said I was disorganized and she always said I was irresponsible and I couldn't keep my room clean. And so that's just kind of the person that I am. Well, you're pulling on a past identity, clearly. You pull on the God of the universe. He is the one. I'm not disorganized. I am not that person. That is not who I am. This is who I am. It's an issue of alignment. Say, I will always know what to do. How do you know that? Because the Bible tells me so. If you lack wisdom, ask of the Lord, and he gives it liberally. And he doesn't get mad because you're asking. That's what it's saying. So he's not going to go, you dummy. Why are you asking me? Figure it out for yourself. You know what's saying? If you lack wisdom, and we all do, ask of the Lord. How do I raise these kids? How do I, you know, what do I need to do in this job situation? Lord, how do I, what's my way forward? What's the wisdom for this matter that I can't figure out? He gives it to you freely, willingly, but ask in faith, don't doubt. In other words, what he tells you, do it. That's the problem. We ask the Lord for the solution. He gives you the solution and we don't do it. Okay, well, what's the will of God for my life? Do you want to know because you're going to do it or do you want to know just because you want to know? He'll give you the answers if you're willing to act upon them. And it's like, well, I've been asking God for this answer and he's not answering me. You know what I ask people? Have you asked him for something else before this? And has he told you and you're not doing it? Because he will not give you the answer to question two until you begin acting upon the answer to question one. You understand that? So we ask him for this solution. We say, Lord, I want this. And he gives you the answer. And you're going, well, I don't really like the answer. Answer this question. You know, and then we're like, he's not answering. He's not answering because he answered you back here. And you're supposed to act on that. That's the way it is. So that's, that's what has to happen. We have faith. It's always like, what has he told you to do that you are not doing? A bad decision in faith is better than a good decision in fear. Say that together. A bad decision in faith is better than a good decision in fear. Peter getting out of the boat, that wasn't really a good decision at all. 12 guys in the boat, one guy gets out. 11 guys are in fear, one guy's in faith. He makes a bad decision in faith. You say, how can that be in faith? How can that be a bad decision? It was a bad decision based on natural circumstances. To get out of a boat in a storm, thinking that you can walk on the water, duh. I mean, you know, that's a bad decision. You know, he gets out of the boat, nobody else even attempted it. They were like, there's no way, man. Because they were making good decisions in fear. But Peter made a bad decision in faith. And what did he do? He walked on the water because he believed the Lord. Whatever you do, do it in faith. That's what Romans is going to tell us. I won't read it for you, but that's what's going to tell us. If you're going to do it, do it in faith. Do it convincingly. Do it as if the Lord told you to do it. 
Because he does. If he tells you to do it, get out of the boat and go. Make bad decision. Lord, you want me to get out of the boat? You want me to invest in a down economy? You want me to do this in this type of type environment? This makes no sense. Well, it isn't going to make sense. Cut the tree down and throw it in the water. That doesn't make sense. None of this makes sense. But we do it anyway. Sometimes it's an issue of faith. Proverbs, 30, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, acknowledge him and he's going to direct you. There's always, there's always a solution and you will always know what to do. He says he will direct you if you'll acknowledge him. So there's the key. If you want direction, you have to acknowledge the Lord. Here's our problem. We don't like to acknowledge the Lord. If you will acknowledge the Lord, Lord, you are God, I am not. Lord, I don't have power over this situation. That's humility. I can't do this. I am not able to do this at all, humility, but I believe you are, and so I ask you to guide me. There you've humbled yourself, you've acknowledged him, and now you've opened up the door for his guidance to come to you. Not, well, Lord, if you would, if you feel up to it today, maybe if you're in a good mood, um, you could help me and you could guide me if you feel like it. Even though I kind of know what I'm doing here, but I would need a little bit of help on the side. Well probably aren't going to hear too much on that. But if you humble yourself and make yourself open, you will hear him. You will hear him. He will speak. The third one is you will succeed in everything you do. Let's just say this together. because You're going to feel good when you say it. I will succeed in everything that I do. How can you say that? Because the Bible tells me so. Philippians 4, Paul's saying, I don't speak in regard of need. For whatever state I am, I'm content, whether I have it or whether I don't because I can do all things through Christ and strengthens me. And he's saying, whatever situation I find myself, wherever I am and whatever I have coming against me, I will succeed. I am going to succeed no matter what environment I find myself in. When you understand who you are, you change the world. How can you say that? Because it's who you are. It's who you are. Identity, Christian. You are a son and a daughter of the living God. It's who you are. Destiny is on you. You can't get rid of destiny. You can tell destiny to sit in the corner and destiny's going to come find you again. Goodness and mercy will follow you. You can't get rid of it because you are marked by the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the God of all victory, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The ultimate victory, victory over death. There is no greater victory than the victory over death. Death had never been defeated. The same spirit that crushed the head of death is the same one that's put in you. You think you can be defeated? You think circumstances can defeat you? You think your past is your problem? Nothing can hold you back. You cannot be defeated. Cannot. You cannot do or sustain what you do not think you are. You must believe it. I am a daughter of the living God. I am a son of the living God. Not because I'm great, not because I'm wonderful, not because I applied and put a resume in, but because he gave it to me. Because of what Jesus has done. You see worship? He gave it to you. Amazing grace. You gave me this? Wow. What did I do to deserve it? Nothing. Why did you give it to me? Because I'm good. That's what worship comes in. You cannot do or sustain what you do not think you are able to do. Everything flows from identity. So if you get a job promotion, here's how it works. You get a job promotion and you do not feel or believe that you are the person for that job, you will not be able to sustain it if you do not see yourself in light of where you are or what you're going. You cannot get to where you are or where you want to go until you see yourself in light of that. You have to believe in success from the biblical perspective, this is all the stuff Tony Robbins and all these gurus teach, these success people. You know where they got it? From the Bible. 
And you know what they do? They take the principles of the Bible and they put Jesus over here in a corner. And they, ever, and they act like, wow, this, this message just completely changed my life. Yeah, because it's gospel truth without the Savior. So as you think, so you are. That's in the Bible. Then you have to believe you're a success, not a success in and of yourself. That's hollow. But you're a success in Christ, and God is for you who can be against you. You will move forward and forward and forward and forward and forward and forward. You will succeed in everything that you do. But you must believe that is who you are. Identity looks like this, okay? Identity and purpose. Identity, the first step of identity is understanding yourself in the light of a child of God and accepting that. And some people, oh, I'm a sinner, barely making it into heaven, saved by grace. Well, that's where that person will stand for the next hundred years until they die. Until you take on your role as a position or a son and a daughter and see yourself in light of that and begin to live in light of that, nothing will change. Nothing will change. So the question is, I'm a son of God. So as a son of God, what does that mean? How should I live because I'm a child of God? How should, what decisions should I make because of I'm a child of God? How should I honor my father? And what do I do to bring about his business? And how do I live my life in my choices and in every area of my life because this is who I am? You live who you are. If you think you're a party animal, you're going to live like a party animal. You, you, you live what you are. And so you, we've got to get this identity issue right. Joseph had a prophetic word, and some of it comes through a prophetic word. But the first thing is through a revealed reality. So here we go, right? We can't even get to prophetic word because we can't get past revealed reality. The Christian can't get to a prophetic word over their life because they don't accept the revealed reality. What does that mean? The revealed reality is, is that you are a child of God, a son and a daughter. Servant, friend, son, and daughter. That's who you are. Until you accept that reality and begin living in light of that, prophetic word won't come to you. Your prophetic word is your specific word and identity to who you are and what you're supposed to be. But until you see yourself in light of a son and a daughter, the prophetic word means nothing. Joseph had a prophetic word over his life. Joseph's word over his life is that he was going to be a leader. So he understood that God loved him. He understood that he was God's child. He got that part right. Prophetic word was given to him. I'm a leader. Why am I a leader? Because God said I'm a leader. Do you know how to lead Joseph? No, not really. But God said, I'm a leader, so I'm going to lead. So what happens? Joseph gets thrown in prison, and what's he end up doing? He's leading the prisoners. He's just leading. Why? Because he's, he's operating according to the prophetic word. He's going to succeed no matter where he is. He gets put in a palace. What does he do? He starts leading the servants. Why? Because he's operating according to the prophetic word upon his life. We can't get to the prophetic word until we get to the revealed reality. Accept the revealed reality, Christian. God's got prophetic word for you. Peter had a prophetic word. You're a rock. It was a prophetic word. Straight from the mouth of Jesus. You're a rock. And then the Lord told him when you, you're going to strengthen your brothers. And so if you, read the God, if you read the book, the writings of Peter, First and Second Peter, the letters he wrote, what are you reading? He's a strength of encouragement. He begins to live his life and operating according to the prophetic word that God spoke over him. Because he understood he was loved. You have the same thing with Paul. Paul's an enigma. Paul understood Jesus loved him. In spite of everything that I, he did, he said, Jesus loves me. I've done some really bad things, and Jesus loves me, and I'm his son, and I'm his daughter. And he's the one who preaches the most on son and daughter identity. He preaches this gospel, and then he has a prophetic word given over his life. What's his word? Paul, you're going to go to the heathen. You're going to bring the kingdom to the deepest, darkest, craziest people on the earth. And what happens with Paul? He begins to live his life according to the identity that God had spoken over him, and you couldn't kill him. You had to kill him to get him to stop. They're like, stop doing it. Beat him with rods. Got up and did it. Stone him. 
figuratively stone him, not literally stoning him, but they threw rocks at him and stoned him. And he got they left for dead, got up, went right back around and did the, did the business with God. Shipwrecked, day and a night in the deep, lost everything, but he began to live his life in, li in light of that, who God said he was. What is God's word over you? Well, let's get you in position of a son and a daughter. And that doesn't mean he's going to send you the deepest, darkest realities. Your word is more like encourager, life bringer. You know, you're going to bring hope and mercy to a generation. That, that's, that's, what's gonna, that's what your word's going to be. You're going to be artistic. You're going to be creative. You're a business leader called to fund the gospel. You're this, you're that. That's what your word's going to be. But we can't even get to that point until we operate according to that basic revealed reality. Let's just say it. I am a son and a daughter of Jesus. Holy Spirit, teach me what this means. Embed this in my consciousness and in my subconsciousness so that I can live according to what this means. Lastly, the fourth thing you have to believe is that your past will always be turned for good. This is good news. Let's just say it together. My past will always be turned for good. See, I've made a lot of bad decisions, Kevin. I'm in a really bad place. You don't understand people, places, and things. It's not good. How can that turn out to be good? Anybody have GPS? What happens when you make a wrong turn? Rerouting. It says it so nicely. Recalculating. It doesn't go, you're going the wrong way. You think you can drive? Pull this car over, man. Get out of the car. But yet we treat it as though that's what God does to us. Right? We make a couple of wrong turns and we treat it like God's telling us to get out of the car. No, what he's doing is he's recalculating. No matter where you are, what you've done, or where you're going to be, because we're all going to make some wrong turns, the Lord will recalculate you. He will recalculate your position in relationship to where you're supposed to go. And he will give you the way there. You must believe that. You must believe that. Hope, one of the greatest evidences of a renewed mind or a mind or a heart that's being renewed is hope. When you do not have hope, it is evidence that you're not operating according to a renewed mind. We prove what we believe, we covered that. Jesus doesn't send the problem, but he uses it. And I just wanna to touch these last two pieces here. It's like, we mourn what we miss, but we know that there's something better. So it's not just all daisies and sunshines and something really tragic has happened to you and you're supposed to just be skipping around going, God works all things out to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's not what it's saying. You can mourn what you have lost. You have permission to mourn, but we do not have permission to stay in the state of mourning. We have to get up and believe and move forward knowing that there is something more hopeful for us in the future. That's, what's, that's what it's saying. James 1.2 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. What does that mean? It means what you go through the crown is the authority. What you go through and what is overcome by you, through you, with the Holy Spirit, you now have authority in that arena of life. Very important. What God gives you victory over, you are now crowned in that area. Yes, there's a crown of life when we stand before him, but there's a prophetic crown of life. It's a near-far. Every prophetic word is near-far. So it's a near prophecy and a far prophecy. It's a, it's a thing that's a factual reality in our world, and it's a truth that will happen when we stand before him. So whatever it is that you've overcome, you have victory in that area. I share this story just briefly, and this is one of the things where God taught me. I had a really bad experience. 
you know, and um, have sort of been mildly successful in uh, whatever, you know, with business and, and then went through a period where it was like really horrible and uh, let me just say that again, horrible and it was really bad. And so I'm complaining to the Lord, oh God, you don't love me. If you didn't love me, you know, it would be like this. I'm, I'm really manifesting my identity right there, you know? So I was like, you know, oh, you don't really love me. If you love me, this wouldn't be going on and all this other stuff, you know? And I'm making this big complaint and big hoodoo before the Lord. And he says to me, have I broken you through before? Have I given you victory there before? Do you remember all the times I provided for you and all the times I given you great success? And I'd be like, yeah. And I felt like the Lord was telling me, go back to that place and center in that place in the spirit and begin to speak and pray and live from that position. You have authority. What he brings you through, you don't come in as a, as a, as a visitor. He gives you ownership. So whatever he's broken you through in, he doesn't take that away from you, you see. What he's given you, gifts and callings of God are without repentance. In other words, he doesn't change his mind. So what he gives you, he doesn't take away. So if he's done it before, you're carrying this. Do you understand? You carry it. It's not, oh God, if you'd give it to me again, no, it's already yours. You already have it. We pray for people and we pray for people, whatever it is they're going through, I try to find people who've already overcome that issue or who already God has given victory in that issue. And I bring that person over to pray for the person who's doing it. Why, because you don't have faith? No, but because I want the person that has the crowned authority in that arena to release that, you see? So wherever God has given you victory, you have authority in that area. Your past has always turned out for good. This is how good he is. We, we, he, God is so good at turning bad things into good things. He doesn't just turn it bad into good. He gives you power. He doesn't go, hey, I'm going to rescue you. Okay, there you go. But he actually gives you authority. He gives you authority in what you just went through. And you carry it. And you carry it. And you carry it. We are carriers of this kingdom. Our calling is to not just carry this kingdom, but to figure it out. How do we make that known? How do we manifest what we carry? How do we do that? What does that look like? And, I'm, and so for the next three hours, we're going to be talking about that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, if you're here this morning, I think we recorded. If you want to get the CD. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, you're missing out on a whole lot. That's what I can tell you. Not just forgiveness, not just inner peace and healing, but you're missing out on purpose and destiny. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, we're going to close this service with two prayers. And the first prayer is an opportunity for you to give your heart away to the only one who was worthy of it. And he'll take it just as it is. He'll take it damaged, he'll take it bruised, he'll take it broken, he'll take it as hard as a rock, he'll take it. And so if that's you this morning, we're gonna to close together in a prayer. And all we ask you to do is just pray along with us and to simply give your heart to Jesus, open your heart. No one can open your heart but you. And he's gonna do everything that he said he was gonna do. He's going to give you life. He's going to give you hope. He's going to give you forgiveness. He's going to give you restoration. And so let's just pray together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not believe, understand all of this, but I choose to believe it. I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you.